0: So today I want to go back to uh, to Dogen and uh, go back to a couple of paragraphs from uh, the Genjo Koan, which we studied together a couple of years ago. For those of you who don't know, Dogen was a 12th century Japanese Zen master known as the founder of the Japanese Soto school, often described as a mystical realist. Uh, an incredible teacher that uh we we keep going back to we keep referring to and uh i would highly recommend uh diving into some of his uh incredible writings so i want to bring up two paragraphs from from uh, the Genjo koan and then we're gonna talk about that to study the buddha way is to study the self to study the Self is to forget the Self. To forget the Self is to be verified by all things. To be verified by all things is to let the body and mind of the Self and the body of mind of others drop off. There is a trace of realization that cannot be grasped. We endlessly express this ungraspable trace of realization. When one first seeks the Dharma, one strays far from the boundary of the Dharma. When the Dharma is correctly transmitted to the self, one is immediately an original person. If one riding in a boat watches the coast, one mistakenly perceives the coast as moving. If one looks directly at the boat in relation to the surface of the water, then one realizes that the boat is moving. Likewise, with confused thoughts about body and mind, seeing reality through the discriminating consciousness, one thinks his own body and mind are fixed or permanent. When we intimately practice and return to right here, it is clear that all things have no fixed self. So the fundamental aspect of Buddhist teaching point at an inherent interconnectedness of all things, which means that nothing exists onto itself in isolation from everything else. In Sanskrit, this is called platitya samutpada, which means interdependent origination or interpenetration of all things. In our practice, we refer to this as oneness, shunyata, emptiness, the source, as we did last week, the original self, or your face before your parents were born, and the realm of Mu. But these are just a bunch of words that may stir up the mind to produce intellectual interpretations, in which we can very quickly become entangled. And Zen always points away from such interpretations and it's meant to push us directly into, away from that into naked reality so we can personally, and stressing personally here, experience being one with all things or experience what it means or what it feels like to be one with all things rather than contemplate oneness from afar or from the outside. And so now, dealing with the grave predicament of this pandemic as a global village, we may be presented with the greatest opportunity to experience the workings of interconnectedness in real time. It's raw, it is equally real for everybody, and it's definitely not conceptual. This virus is blind to our made-up borders and it's showing us that although we look and sound different, we're all very much the same. And the necessary response to mitigate this pandemic is also teaching us the meaning of unity by showing us that we're all liable for each other. And it appears that many people understand this and heed the advice of social distancing. Hid the or understand that we are indeed liable for each other. And then there are some who prefer to remain ignorant to the inviolable law of interconnectedness. And it's, no, it's not really the law of our country or of our area or whichever that is that pertains to us right now. It's not that kind of a law. It's the inviolable law of the universe. Which is very important to understand. It's not that somebody decided that now we are liable for each other. And before we were not. But regardless of our personal feelings or opinions, we always affect one another. Through the way we think, what we say, what we do, in all the ten directions, and through space and time. What happens on any part of the planet reverberates through the entire planet, and everybody feels it in one way or another. Nobody is immune from that. In Buddhism, this is called Indra's Net, which is a depiction of platitya samutpada, or interpenetration of all things. IntrasNet is comprised of an infinite number of jewels connected to each other by a web that expands in all directions. And each each jewel is reflected within all the other jewels. And within this interconnected web, what happens on one part naturally ripples through the entire system. A spider web is a simple way to illustrate that. A slight movement on one part of the web ripples through the entire web. Question is, can this be you? Can this be you as us or us as you? And if it is, what does it really mean in terms of our everyday life, in terms of your everyday life? Interconnectedness or the aspect of oneness does not negate individual uniqueness of each person in the same way that the individual uniqueness of each person does not negate the fact that we are interconnected. We are one and different at the same time. Buddhism speaks of the aspects of absolute truth and the aspect of the relative truth or the conventional Understanding both as inseparable is the wisdom of non-duality. And the difficulty for us to grasp and digest this has to do with the way we try to grasp and digest it. Or has to do with the way that we are trying, or the fact that we are trying to grasp it. So it can only be understood on an experiential level through the ways it manifests through us as us and it does manifest very clearly right now So when we view reality from the aspect of the absolute all things are experienced as one and when we view reality from the aspect of of the conventional all things appear as different appear as different appear as one both aspects are true but when we when when our view is limited to only one of these aspects, we end up thinking and functioning in accordance with a partial understanding of reality. Of course, this is where practice comes in. So the aim of Buddhist practice is to expose reality as a whole and as integrated rather than segmented. It doesn't mean seeing it as one, nor does it mean seeing it as different. The absolute and the relative must be seen and experienced as interpenetrating and inseparable. As Tseng San expressed beautifully in his poem, Trust in Mind, one has many kinds, two have no duality. And then he added, do not even keep the one. And we encounter this teaching repeatedly in the Heart Sutra, and the Sandokai, and of course in koan study. An ancient master once said, "Old man Chang drinks wine, old man Li gets drunk." It's one of many ways to understand or to point at the understanding that we are not alone, we are not separated. What we think, what we say, what we do, ripples through everybody. Okumura writes, When we study and practice according to Dogen Zenshi's teaching, it is important that we have more than just an intellectual understanding of these two aspects of reality. We should actually manifest these views with our actions. This is an important yet difficult point that appears throughout Dōgen's work, Dōgen's teachings. In the Tenzo Kyokun instructions to the cook, for example, Dōgen said that as the cook of the community, we have complete responsibility for the way we work, since our cooking is our own personal practice. Yet this personal practice is more than just a personal activity since it is also a function within the community. We cannot say, this is my practice, so I can just do whatever I want to do, because there is a certain way the food should be prepared, and a certain time it should be ready. The cook prepares food that nurtures the entire community's practice. So cooking is a practice of both the whole community and of the cook. Just as the cook must actualize both individual practice and community practice, all of us must aim to manifest with our own bodies and minds a personal practice that is at the same time practice for the community. We must say to ourselves, this is my own practice. No one else can perform my practice for me. But we must also say, this practice is actually not just for me, but for the whole community. And in this case, the whole community is the entire world. We have to find how we can best serve the whole community, yet we must do that through our own personal action and responsibility. We are completely independent, while at the same time, we are fully part of the community. So how can we actualize both sides of our lives within one action this is really the basic point of our lives it is true for all beings but especially important for us to recognize since personal independence is emphasized so much in today's society it's very true what we emphasize in our society is the uniqueness without understanding that the uniqueness does not negate oneness, or the totality of all things. This is a crucial point for us as human beings, but since it cannot be grasped intellectually, we have to dive into it through personal study and personal exploration. Dogen said, To study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. Conventionally, when we think about studying something, there is a gap between that which is being studied, or the end that which is doing the study, and in such a study, I observe the object of the study from the outside. In the study of the way or the Tao, the separate sense of self is being forgotten into the process of the exploration and merges with the way. And so, Dogen, what Dogen is saying that to truly study Buddhism we have to turn it around and become the study itself. Not as the one who is observing the universe but as the one who is the universe itself. It's kind of like a drop of the ocean. If a drop of the ocean would want to study the ocean all it has to do is turn it around and study itself. And in doing that it has to forget its own notion of being a part of the ocean. So it does not study itself as a part of the ocean. It studies itself as the entire ocean. <clears throat> so, And to forget the self is to be verified by all things. That continues what Dogen is saying. To be verified by all things is to let the body and mind of the self and the body of mind of others drop off. And then he says, there is a trace of realization that cannot be grasped. We endlessly express this ungraspable trace of realization. So when we're asked to forget the self, we feel as if we are losing something very precious. And we may want to hold on, hold on to it even tighter. But in reality, we lose ourselves to find ourselves. And by letting go of what we think we are, we realize the preciousness we have always been endowed with. And so to be verified by all things is to see ourselves as the ground we are standing on. The cup of coffee we hold in our hand. The trees we are looking at. Or the person we are interacting with. When the selfness of the self is dropped off, the otherness in the other is also dropped off. And then the gaps are gone. The drop of the ocean and the ocean are no longer perceived as two. We are no longer perceiving ourselves as separated from reality. In fact, we have a much deeper experiential understanding of what it means inter- to interpenetrate all things at the same time. And all things coming forward interpenetrating who we are at the same time. Kabir said it beautifully, all know that the drop, that the drop merges into the ocean, but few know that the ocean merges into the drop. And Dogen continues, there is a trace of realization that cannot be grasped. We endlessly express this ungraspable trace of realization. So if one stops and thinks, now I am verified by all things, one has already stepped out of the flow and missed the point. <clears throat> realization cannot become a thing to grasp or identify with. So just practice is the most vital advice. The other paragraph I brought up from the Genja alludes to the optical illusion of the self as as it's separated from its surroundings. When one first seeks the Dharma, one strays far from the boundary of the Dharma. When the Dharma is correctly transmitted to the self, one is immediately an original person. You may remember once Joshua asked Nansen, What is the way? Nansen said, Ordinary mind is the way. Joshua said, Should I direct myself toward it or not? Nansen said, If you try to turn towards it, you go against it. So Joshua said, If I do not try to go towards it, how can I know this is the way? Nansen answered, The way does not belong to knowing or not knowing. Knowing is delusion, not knowing is blank consciousness. <clears throat> when you have really reached the true way beyond all doubt, you will find it as vast and boundless as the great empty sky. How can it be talked about on the level of right or wrong? Or knowing or not knowing? So to seek for the way is to turn away. the way. Also, to seek for the way implies a gap, a separation between the one who is seeking and that which is being seeked, that which we want, that which we are looking for. Right, And as long as there is that gap, there is a gap. So to study the way has to do, has to be to become the way, rather than to look for it. Then he goes on to say, if one riding in a boat watches the coast, one mistakenly perceives the coast as moving. If one looks directly at the boat in relation to the surface of the water, then one realizes that it's the boat that's moving. Likewise, with confused thoughts about body and mind, Seeing reality through the discriminating consciousness, one thinks its own body and mind are fixed and permanent. When we intimately practice and return to right here, it is clear that all things have no fixed self. In Being Upright, Reb Anderson writes, In the realm of Dharma, ignoring the dependent co arising of the self is equivalent to the original sin. It is the fundamental human disaster. It is the fundamental human disaster. It is the source of our suffering. So to realize that, to see the optical illusion, to understand that everything is moving, everything is one, everything is united, nothing is fixed. That's the remedy. So the optical illusion is the disease and understanding of unity is the remedy. I want to quote again from uh, Einstein something that really pertains to this very intimately. Einstein said, A human being is a part of the whole called by us universe, a part limited in time and space. He experiences himself his thoughts and feelings as something separated from the rest a kind of optical delusion of his consciousness this delusion is a kind of prison for all of us restricting us to our personal desires and to affection for a few persons nearest to us and our task must be to free ourselves from this prison by widening our circle of compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole of nature in its beauty. Striving for such achievement is in itself a part of the liberation and foundation for inner security. Meaning it's exactly the opposite of what we do. It's exactly the opposite of what we seek. So, Facing the current circumstances, are we experiencing a deeper sense of unity? Meaning, are we using this time well to understand that we are one? Beyond Zen, beyond Buddhism, this has nothing to do with what we call Zen as separated from what we call everything else or other paths or whether it is for me or not for me. It is about being a human being. The question is, are we using this time well to study interconnectedness or to examine how interconnectedness truly manifests? And if so, if we do, how does it manifest? How does it affect the way we communicate with each other, especially right now, that we are, isolated from each other? How does it affect your devotion to practice? Do we understand the urgency of realizing the fundamental truth and actualizing today, only today? So I'd like to open it up now and uh, please unmute yourself before you speak. And uh, let's, let's stir it up a little bit. I want to see where you're at. Not so much about what the mundane daily stuff. It's really what we, are, what, what we want to do is to turn things upside down and to open it up beyond our personal discomforts. Do we understand that suffering is suffering it does not it doesn't end at the border of new york city and stops as we move around the rest of the country or the rest of the world so who wants to go first go
1: good morning everybody um
0: how about, how about if we first say our name because uh, I think we have some new people here today. Uh,
1: my name is um, I will, Right now I think I'm feeling a lot of very different things. So when I go out for a run um, I can feel the wind and I see um, all the trees are blooming and the grass is turning green and it's so quiet you can see all the birds chirping. Um, so it feels like we have this beautiful spring energy coming forth, um, but then I also have um, a couple of times being at the hospital. Um, there's just this feeling of underlying sadness there. I mean, people are losing their family members. Um, they're not allowed to have visitors, so they're they're dying alone, or they're dying um, uh, saying goodbye over Skype or over FaceTime or something. Um, And so there's a lot of heartache there as well. And it's, you know, at times there's some, I've had some overwhelming sadness about what that actually means to lose your family member that way. So I have, um, I'm trying to hold all of what's happening because there is um, a lot of very amazing things happening in the scientific world. Um, The beauty of, spring coming forth and also this deep-deep sadness that people are feeling over what we're all experiencing together as humanity. So um, sometimes it's one of those aspects and sometimes it's all of them at the same time. And and trying to learn how how to balance all that. And I think the, the important thing for me has been Practice
0: trying to stay grounded and rooted, and just really make space for all of that to exist simultaneously. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you for that. So, so when reading the news, when seeing the news, when when reading about people who are suffering, who are dying, are dying alone, um, can we? Do we open up our hearts? Do we? Do we understand experientially that it's our pain? It's us as one. Or do we feel that this is happening somewhere else? How much of this sadness do we feel? And people that are getting better, right? How much of that do we feel? It's not just the suffering, it's the whole thing. Some people are dying. Some people are being healed and are getting better. Some people are suffering greatly because of losing their jobs. All of it is happening. So do we stay home and, and create a cocoon or bubble up? Or can we allow it to penetrate our hearts? And if we do, what does it mean? How does it affect us? How does it affect the way we move, the way we interact with other people? Who wants to go next? Hi.
2: This is Al. Hi, Elle. Um, I'm curious about this question or what we mean by how do we let it penetrate our hearts? Um, Because I'm not sure what that looks like for me. I think there are days where I feel more plugged into what's going on. And there are days where I feel really, uh, where I I, uh, don't check my phone. I don't uh, really feel engaged with what's going on besides in my immediate home. Um, and some, sometimes when I do feel more plugged into what's going on, I find myself engaging in really anxious behaviors, or I find myself, um, I'm confused by how I'm not, I'm not sure how to react to how I'm engaging, or I'm like, or the thought might be, what's even the point of engaging if I don't, if I feel kind of futile or Mm -hmm. um, in my reaction to that information. So um, because I think there's a lot of information, there's some information that I get that I feel like I can act based off of or that I can um, process through in a way that feels good. Mm -hmm. And there's some information that I get that I'm like, I guess, I guess, I guess, and I'm not sure what to do that. Addresses a situation that I now know
0: about. Yeah, you know, and thank you for that. Uh, it's intri- Anxiousness is, is a is a natural occurrence, right? Obviously, you know, we all experience that. But uh, it, it's a very good uh, point. There, it's actually a very good gauge because it shows us from you know, it shows us where we react from. Uh, to feel anxiousness is actually to to know that there is something fixed in us there is a separate sense of self that feels anxious, right? It doesn't mean that the pain itself is, or to read about somebody else going through suffering, it's not that this is causing the anxiousness. There is something in me that thinks this is wrong. And when I think it's wrong, I try to fight it, I try to push it away, I try to either deny it, or shut it off, or look the other way because I don't want this and I'm afraid maybe I will feel this way too. Right? So it's, so the question is, how can we look at it not from the outside, but as that? Meaning, can this pain, whether it's pain or joy, can it go through us rather than be stopped by us? Right? So to see reality as reality versus seeing reality from the outside. That's the question, because adding more, adding my pain to that pain is going to is not going to help, obviously, right? You know, so I'm going to add myself to the pile of that suffering, and then there's more suffering, and that's not what we're talking about. But, but so the question is, how can we see it? So what Dogen was talking about, there is a sense of everything else is moving, and I am not. Right, that's the optical illusion of separateness. And what we want to do is dive into that as the suffering, not as something fixed, but as something that's moving. So, how does that look like? Maybe somebody else wants to share experiencing that. Yeah, Major.
3: Just <laughs> in the wrong, wrong place. Um, so, um, good morning, everyone. I'm Angel. Um, I thought I was doing pretty good um, at one time until
1: I um, until
3: I got the news that my boyfriend was uh, tested positive. You know, to um, being you know having the virus and in uh, in in my gut feeling I felt that because like twelve guys in his uh, house and this firefighter had become you know positive i I kind of felt that he was also positive but I just wanted to to wait and actually hear it and obviously I you know I felt very fearful for him and uh, for myself because you know be, I've been around him and I didn't I don't understand like right now like um how long you have to be away from the person and you know how does it work? Was I actually uh you know contaminated as well and, and just all these thoughts started going through my mind and you know I wanted to cry, I wanted to scream, I just, just you know, a lot of emotions were coming up and then I was like, wait a minute, you know, um I feel fine physically. I don't feel sick, so why am I like getting so worked up about it? As of right now, just gotta stay, try to stay positive and stuff. And you know, I did what I normally did. You know, just grabbed the pups, I went for a walk, and just, just be nature and just, um, you know, watching all the people. All of a sudden, I just became very aware. Knowing that there's a possibility that I may or may not, and that there might be, like, my life could be, you know, coming to an end, you know, and I'm not even aware of it. And um, so I came home and just sat for a little bit and said my voice and let them know hey, you know, how are you doing? You know, how are you keeping busy? What's going on in your lives? And I spoke to my oldest son. I I spoke to him and I told him, look, this is what's happening. This is the deal. I may be or may not, I don't know. There's this not knowing. And I go, but we haven't had a certain conversation. And this is the conversation that I didn't want to have with you at this moment like this, but it's gonna happen. And I just told him, this is where all the my legal documents are this is where everything is and if anything happens to me everything gets split three ways and it was like mom you know like i don't really want to be talking about this this is scary and i says yes it is but you guys are all grown men and you know you guys could already look out for yourselves it's not like you're little you know, and if anything happens to me, I told him I want to be cremated. I want to this and it was like, oh, mom. And then finally, him being a science geek, he goes, okay, mom. So do you want us to when the technology advances? Do you want us to just ship you out into space afterwards? You know, your ashes and stuff. And I go, no, I actually want to be put in the garden. So we started kind of like laughing a little bit about it. And it kind of got me out of that mood. And then, um, After the conversation, I got off the phone and I was like, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, you know? Um, And then I went outside and started working in the garden and just, just, you know, just kind of meditating in a sense. And all of a sudden I felt like some of that fear kind of lifted, Mm. maybe because a conversation was taken care of and, um, and I just kind of felt at peace, you know. I feel like what? It's not this, you know. This is what we say all the time: die now, you know. And and it was it was different. It was that, that kind of feel kind of lifted, and um, I was like, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna be okay, you know. We're gonna be okay, you know. Just gotta go through the. Process, you know, just kind of ride the wave, and um, yeah, so that's where I'm at right now, just going through the process, riding the wave, and just being present. Yeah, uh, it's Thank- strange is a strange feeling, but that's where I'm at right now. I feel like I'm okay, whatever comes, I'm okay with it,
0: yeah. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for that. And, um, how is Sal right now?
3: Actually, he's, he's great. You know, he, I I texted him and he said, I asked him, I says, how are you feeling and stuff? And he goes, ah, whatever happened, I was, I got, I got really lucky. I got a very mild case of it. Hmm. He goes, I'm feeling fine. I'm feeling great. You know, my breathing is fine. You know, um, yeah. I didn't go through a lot of the crazy symptoms. That's why he wasn't sure if he had it or not. Yeah. But I told him, before you come over, just go get tested because, right. you know, if I am if I don't have it, I don't want to get it, you know? So yeah. just go, make, you know, get tested and make sure that you're okay. And then when he got tested, then he found out that he was positive to the virus. And yeah. uh, But mm-hmm. overall, he said he, you know, he just, I think on the fifth day, he kind of, had a sore throat and started coughing, and then it only lasted a few days, and then it went away, you know? Mm-hmm. And right now he says, I'm just waiting for the doctor to give me clearance to see you know, yeah. if I'm going back to work or what's next, you
0: know? Yeah, that's good to hear. Yeah. But, and thank yeah. you for sharing all this. And and this is a great example, right? So uh, so here is here is uh, here are the facts, right? Here are the facts, here's what's happening. And, and of course, the question is, how do I meet the facts right now? Now, the facts stir the mind up, right? And then we start to project, we start to futurize. And then that itself creates further anxiety. But the coming back, right? The, 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 the act of or the action of coming back to right now. What do I need to do right now? What does it mean right now? Not what will it mean. In another time right now what does it mean right and that not only grounds it but something gets clarified at that moment because the attention is actually freed from the anxiety or from the notion of anxiety it's freed and it's actually called for in what you're doing right now right so to return to now well, as as uh, Dogen said When we intimately practice and return to right now, it is clear that all things have no fixed self. Because right now, who are you right now? If you look at this second, at this instance of realization of this moment, where do you find yourself? Or any given moment, where do you find yourself? Right? To answer that question, we have to go either to the past or to the future but here you cannot find it and then when you cannot find it all that's left is how do i need to act what do i need to do what does life what is life asking of me right now and it seems that you listen to that and you acted accordingly so, thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Who's next?
2: Put your thumb
0: up. Raise your hand, unmute, speak. Should I choose?
2: <laughs> Tyler is my, Mukan is my. I think
0: Mukan wants to speak. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to be good
4: here.
5: <laughs> I'll get out of the way. Yeah, you know, I'm just echoing what everybody has said so far, I think is important. Of Yeah, you know, I've been thinking a lot this past week about just kind of the surrealness of how we're experiencing time during all this. The closest I've gotten is it feels like jogging in place. Uh, because you're trying to keep routines to maintain something. I don't know, I think the structure, because our normal kind of ordering doesn't exist as much anymore and it's just kind of different. And you're trying to stay in tune with everything going on, all the suffering, whether it's you know close in proximity. In my case, I have a number of friends who are having their first child this month. And there's a lot of uncertainty of what that entails. I mean, and watching panic, uh, grip a number of people I know of going, well, do I have a home birth? <laughs> do I, you know, what, what does this entail? Will I even be able to be in the same room during the delivery? Will I be able to see my child within the next year? You know, uh, there's so much uncertainty and it sends you down. This hole and this grip, and the thing I keep turning to is everything changes hour by hour during this. There's because of the uncertainty, so whatever is happening right now might change by the time the due date, you know, happens or, or whatever. There's so much this changing and, and, and different things happening that it, you. How do you plan? It's like trying to pin Jello to a wall. So it, it can get, you know, you're gonna, have, I'm gonna have days where I notice, you know, the sun is different, and it definitely heightens your awareness. Sometimes that takes the form of, you know, walking around my apartment complex. Sometimes I happen to go out at the same hour that everybody else decides to go out. So I feel like I'm zigzagging, trying to avoid people, and I don't like feeling like that. Uh, you know, whether it's going to the grocery store and every square inch is suspect and possibly crawling with germs, uh, people not adhering, you know, if anything, this brings to me, um, how interconnected we all are. I think we, you can't deny it anymore because whether it's suffering, it's your suffering. It also takes a more pernicious form of everyone is suspect and that person deciding to not engage with a particular reality, necessarily impacts my ability to, to try to, to do a different thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And every decision that everybody makes is, is integrated. And so a lot of my decision-making has involved a, what does my decision do to the others around me? Mm-hmm. And then the others around them. <laughs> and then it's this kind of cascading effect. I, I think that between everything going on, I think that if I'd hope, you know, because we seem to have selective memory about things, you know, even just thinking about (laughs) past uh, epidemics, although I do think that this one is certainly exceptional. um, I'd like to hope that this is a a moment uh, to grasp, to really change the way we interact with the natural and physical world around us and, the people that we hold dear and the ones that we don't even know exist, uh, you know, I, I think that all of that's important. And I hope that out of all this madness, uh, something like that can kind of come.
0: Right. Thank you. So thank you. And uh, interconnectedness. So, so when we hear about Indra's Net, or when we go back to that, if we already heard about it, does it... Feel differently now? Does it take a real shape and form of our everyday life? Is it less intellectual, conceptual? Is it more real for us now as practitioners? When you speak to other people, do you feel it? When you read about someone, someone else's suffering, do you feel that? <clears throat> do we feel more one than before? Is, is my question, is our question. do we feel the responsibility? Yeah. If
5: not now, then when?
0: Yeah, great, Jeremy. Wait, 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 you have to unmute, or I'll unmute you. That's me, can you
5: guys hear me now? Yeah. Um, One thing I wanted to share, uh, that happened a week or so ago, for me, as far as that oneness goes, I was just out with my kids and we decided to start like drawing on the sidewalk, like with some rainbows and things like that. And so we lined our whole um, front of our sidewalk with rainbows to kind of add hope to people a little bit. And I hadn't seen anyone else doing it. I hadn't seen it happening anywhere. And then later that night, I saw that there were all these people like on the internet posting about that sort of thing. And I think that just strikes me as, you know, those sorts of things that happen that, you know, you didn't plan for, but it's a good example of how we are one and we're all kind of like creating this similar consciousness.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we see it with people who know nothing about practice, right? I think think we are experiencing this uh, in in a very large way because the main question is how good is our memory, right? How much of it is going to truly impact our lives Afterwards, or we go right back to thinking and acting as if we are separated from each other, but for us as practitioners this is this can be uh, an amazing uh, opportunity yeah go
6: so the um, the idea that people are hoping or just like they're looking forward to when everything returns back to normal, um, is maybe connected to that notion that, you know, we may just end up forgetting, uh, and going back to what we thought was normal. Mm -hmm. Um, and so maybe there is some, Uh, effort on our part you know we're having this conversation and now that this is all in our awareness Mm
2: -hmm.
6: um, if we could maybe make some steps to kind of you know for those other tragedies or other events in our world when people have made conscious efforts to you know the term that comes up is never forget in those situations so what you know not that you have to necessarily uh, linger on the past but Um, how uh, we can be aware of the lessons we're learning right at this moment so that they become a part of our regular conversation and inform us going forward and that we make sure that you know the young people who are too young to understand really what's happening right now that it's you know they start to learn um, as soon as they're old enough and you know that uh, that we continue that conversation and and even take notes I mean one thing that Gordon's been doing is Um, taking uh, he's been, I don't know, mental notes at least, I don't know if you're it down but uh, noting verbally when like, oh well this is a lesson that we're learning right now, this is a lesson that we're learning right now and that if we take that step right now to even verbalize it or write it down however we do that and to revisit that uh, in a year or two or whenever things have, have maybe reverted to some sense of normal to see if we are still um, remembering those lessons
0: mm-hmm yeah so in a year or two yes we could uh, look back but now before we are there to look back right the question is how deeply do we take it in and uh, how much of it can be how much of it is used as uh, fuel in a way or energy to deepen our practice to uh, yeah, to help us go deeper into practice, right? Yes,
6: well, I mean, every, um, every step that we take, every surface that we touch, every breath that we take is affecting the people around us, right? Um, yeah. So, uh, but it was before as well. <laughs> we just, there's just a stronger reason to uh, for people to notice that. And the, and the idea that everything is changing now every hour, you know like you were sharing with, mm-hmm. um, everything was already changing constantly every moment, but there's a, it's a different um, a different understanding of what's changing, and I guess maybe it's just that it's couched in a certain uncertainty that before we thought we were we were so sure of how things were or mm. how they were likely to go um, and Maybe some of that surety uh was not uh not earned you know? yeah
0: there is another aspect that i think should should uh should come up for us is is to uh admit that we are very self centered we are very self concerned and i would begin i don't know maybe we should devote uh you know another uh, mondo to that, I think we have to examine our restlessness. Our restlessness is, 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 is an incredible teacher, right? We always want to give immediate, the body wants something, the mind wants something, and we want to serve it immediately. And often it is through movement whether it's scratching, adjusting, moving, getting something. It is constant. And I would ask you to uh, admit, to look at it, to admit that it is happening. And also to admit that we are automatically rushing to give into it. This is, this is one, one of the many ways that we are cocooned. And that cocoon is preventing us from allowing everything to penetrate our hearts and it doesn't go anywhere it actually beca- it, it perpetuates itself so the more we give into it the more it wants it never ends so to stay for example you know we practice stillness we practice not moving so we have to so so right now as we are sitting listening to other people this is our practice so somebody is talking and we are all the rest of us are listening Examine how you listen. And when you listen, a thought comes and says, what about this? What about that? I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. I got this. I got that. I got to adjust. It's constant. Can we, or how can we, uh, be the masters of our attention and then direct the attention to the person who is talking? That's it. Completely be with that. Do not give in to that mind that just wants to want it doesn't care what it is just wants to want so that's one of the ways one of the barriers actually that prevent us from opening up to reality from seeing that we are one with all things one as all things anyone else? or who is next? yeah
7: I think recently I've noticed, like, I've always tried to have the awareness of where I am and what I need to be doing at that moment rather than what I need to be doing five minutes from then, Um, and kind of being aware of of my surroundings and being aware of the moment rather than my future with that moment, maybe. Um, And I've always had that in the back of my mind, or at least I try to, um, but it's really hard and sometimes I've noticed um, my peers or maybe the people around me feeling the, this kind of rush to keep thinking about the future or maybe the past and what I need to do then. Even if it's in something social where you might think that you're more aware of where you are, kind of with your friends, but really you're thinking, oh, like uh, when I need to go, I need to go home and I need to do my homework, or oh, and you're never in that moment. And I think recently I've noticed it with my friends and with people that I hadn't noticed it before, of them realizing because of this, you know, whole being at home and staying home and having to be there, about how much those moments matter and how much it matters to be in that moment. And I think that's something that I liked to see because it really did bring me to think that a lot of us well, I mean, we are one, but also like now I kind of like have grasped it because of seeing other people feeling that way and seeing other people realize that once this is over, you also have to be in that moment, not just now when like you, you literally have to be because there's nothing else you can do. Mm-hmm. And it's it's those moments where you don't want to be in the moment that you have to be in it the most. Mm-hmm. And I think I really like seeing that in other people.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, good point. Thank you. Who's next? We have a few minutes. Uh, actually, we have about 10 minutes. If anybody else wants to speak, that would be a great time to do that.
3: Um, I want to say something. I, um, I don't know. If, um, I mean, I, 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 I'm teaching online. And... <laughs> One of, one of the, the biggest uh, challenges that I see on my students is that um, they don't, <laughs> they're having a challenge being around all of their relatives all of the time. Like they want time by themselves and they can't wait for their children to go back to school. They, they're like overwhelmed with uh, taking care of the house, the children, the, you know, teaching them at home and all this other stuff that's going on and sometimes i think like wow you know um sometimes it's like we you know we're never happy when we're at work we want to be home when we're at home we want to be at work (laughs) you know it's uh it's trying just to to juggle but i noticed that that it's um you know it's become a challenge for me to teach them because of all the interruptions from their children their spouses their mother-in-laws their moms everybody's trying to come in to talk to them when you know they're supposed to be in class with me so yeah we just kind of try to make light out of the situation and you know just try to get through a lesson without any interruptions and stuff but um i mean i count my blessings because i mean i'm home alone i've been home alone already for like 20 days and other than just the pups you know are, are with me and and I think, you know, I'm very grateful for them because, you know, they, they make me go out outside. And, you know, when I just want to stay home, they I have to walk them. I have to take care of them and everything else. So that kind of distracts me a little bit. But what you were saying about the uh, the nervousness and the jitterness and everything, when, when I'm stressed, uh, sometimes it's very difficult for me to sit still. Mm-hmm. It's I, I, I need to move. I, I need to get rid of that energy in my physical body before I can even call start calming my mind so that's for me that that's where I try to go for a walk or that's when I try to go outside and just dig in the soil or pick up some sticks or leaves or something just to you know that I, I enjoy for a little bit and then after that I can sit and have a cup of tea and just Okay, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Just get rid of the, I, I need to get, I need to move. I need to get rid of that nervous energy so that I can have a moment of, of silence and stillness. So, um, yeah, I don't know about everybody else how they're, you know, managing, but I, I my body's used to being in motion, you know, and, uh, and now I have a lot of time to, to sit around.
0: Yeah, so thank you. So yes, uh, I think that uh, it is, we are uh, moving creatures and I think it's important for us to, on a regular basis, especially now, uh, engage in some physical activity on a daily basis. I think it's essential. Um, But the one thing about that is we have to make sure that we don't do it as a a displacement activity, that we do it because it's a true need of the body and it is a true need of the body. But at the same time, uh, if it's used to uh, as a distraction, at the end, when it ends, we are back to where we started and it has not been looked at. So that's the one thing that uh, will be good to examine. Is it a displacement activity? Am I doing that to run away from facing what I need to face right now? So thank you for that. We have two people and then we're going to end with that. So uh, Ari and Richard. Ari, you go first.
4: Hello, everybody. <clears throat> Thank you all uh, for your contributions. What's resonating for me is um, the last several months I've been dealing with um, uh, the the breakup um, of a relationship, and I've been my my intention has been to just sit with all of. The discomfort in it, and um, um, you know, it's most especially the 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 shame and um, the the myriad of things that um, uh, rejection uh, can bring. And so, you know, I, I feel like I, I touched um, into rejection really well and sat with a lot of uh, super challenging things, and uh, most recently. I've noticed that I reach um, that I have this enormous resistance to her process and um, and what the the last couple of days i I actually uh, got very sick quite suddenly on Tuesday night, and um, I'm a little better. But um, it's given me a lot of downtime, and what I've noticed and had an opportunity to um, observe, I haven't touched into it yet because honestly, it's terrifying for me. But it's, um, you know, I've, I, as I've asked myself, what am I resisting in her, and what am I, what am I judging in her? Because my judgments are this, you know, are these awesome just flag posts uh, that point me to the thing that I really need to embrace. And that, that for me is um, not being rejected, but but uh, rejecting in such a, a, a way that it is—it feels whole and complete and terrifying. And um, this is what you know. I, you know, I can quantify it in psychological terms, and um, and it and it feels insane to me. This complete rejection. Um, and that's what I've been resisting the most. Um, and it's fun. I mean, I've, I've even taken to (laughs) talking out loud, right. But as if I'm talking to her and, um, and which is a, a negation in and of itself, right. It's, you know, as if, um, her suffering is separate, somehow separate. And, and I've been observing my own mind, um, you know, just, circle uh you know this um this mechanism of complete rejection and um so you know this wando's perfect timing and i will uh go touch into <laughs> rejection complete rejection
7: yeah um,
0: yeah so yeah and and thank that, thank you for that but you know yes it's a good time to feel uh being embraced, being embraced by everything and everyone, being interconnected and being embraced. It does feel like, a. Um, if we do open up to that, it does feel like a place to rest in, being one with all things. So, thank you. All right, we'll turn to Richard.
8: Thank, thank you. I've really enjoyed, uh, listening to these comments and think I've gotten a lot out of them. Um, it's, uh, interesting to know how deeply so many people perceive, um, what we're dealing with today. Um, one of the things I, I took as sort of a, uh, I, I teach and, uh, I have two seminar classes that I'm teaching now and, uh, Um, They were good classes until this all occurred, now I'm teaching online. And I thought, if anything, the degree of um, group participation was stronger. And and I I couldn't understand what that was about, you know, sort of a pleasant sort of conundrum to think about. And initially, um, I ascribed it to people being in their own spaces and more relaxed. Maybe there is some of that, but um I think it's more than that, and I think that people's sort of uh, attention to the reality of what's going on because it's so incomprehensible um has just sort of uh, got their uh sensory perceptions at a at a higher level um, and it's uh, it's great I mean. Uh, it, it leads to uh to, to good results i think uh uh there's a certain uh quickness and intensity in terms of the participation and uh i i think people seem seem more alive which is counterintuitive in the sense that you know they're stuck in their apartments and uh dealing with all the craziness, you know, have they been uh, infected, uh, you know, people in the next rooms that are driving them crazy, all the rest. But they seem able to sort of compartmentalize, and uh, it's an interesting and uh, encouraging sort of uh, perspective on these kids and probably on the uh, the larger world. So anyway, that's uh, what I have to offer.
0: Thank you, Richard. So yeah, very interesting, right? Because our usual uh, distractions or way to distract ourselves, ways to distract ourselves, are not available. Uh, we we can watch TV a lot, but that gets old, and uh, we may not want to do it anymore. But uh, yes, we cannot just you know get in the car and drive there and do this or do that. So we are uh, in a way presented with an incredible opportunity to to study the self and to forget the self. Right. So, what could be better than this? Yeah. One second. Yes.
8: It's like a sashin.
0: You, you want not to say
2: something?
0: Not now. No. Like a sashin. No. It's
2: like a sashin.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like a sashin. restriction. <laughs> yeah, we all are by yeah by the way things are, we are restricted. Uh, but then, are we restricted? Right. Not being able to do what we want to do, is that a restriction, or is that freedom? Mm. right it seems like a restriction but maybe, maybe it's not maybe it's not so we're going to I want to end this with uh, you know, a quote with, uh, William, from William Blake who said to see a world in a grain of sand and heaven in a wild flower hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour Thank you.